dream is alive. Giantkiller.co and the By George Podcasting Network present the By George Podcast with Brian Lawrence and Chris Jones. The original George Mason basketball podcast. They're on their feet. Here, Hancock. Oh! <laughs> Off the top of the backboard, no. Loose, Hancock, front court, Morrison. One Mason point, George Mason. Bye, George. We are back, but a little bit differently. <laughs> Our leader, Dave Paulson, was fired. Bye, George started the year that Dave Paulson took the job. We've been riding alongside of him this whole time, for better or worse. We've ripped him. We've hyped him. It's been a it's it's been a pretty boring thing to cover. But now he's gone. Wow. And we got. Petey on the mic tonight. We got Chris on the mic tonight, guys. And just tell me, how are you feeling about this? What was your initial feeling the moment you heard that Dave Paulson was fired? Um, I'm going to say, like, obviously a bit of a sigh of relief. Like, I think coming out of that 32-point loss to Davidson, um, you know, there was sort of a, an uneasy feeling in the air, and I think that the writing was sort of on the wall. So when I saw that, I mean, I smiled. I cracked a smile and then immediately went to the group chat and everybody seemed, you know, relieved and sort of like a new era is upon us. So, Petey, how are you feeling? Yeah, I was feeling like an idiot for telling everybody that, no, 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 Brian sources are telling us <laughs> that uh, uh, Dave's, Dave's safe. Um, but no, I think... Uh, you know, I, I had that same feeling of relief. Like I was, I was thinking that we were correct about the reporting and that Dave was going to come back. So I was like stealing myself for another year of the Paulson era, which is like not the worst thing in the world. Like I don't want to overplay it, but I think the thing that has kind of stunk for a couple of years now is like, we don't have really have a lot of hope to compete with the top of the conference because it's pretty clear that like we plateaued and we weren't like really ever in the top four conversation at all. And I realized um, when I got the news that uh, when the news broke that Dave was gone, that like I had just been putting on a brave face, really. And I was like, actually, like pretty happy that we're making a change in direction. Um, I think we've talked about it. Dave seems like a great dude. It's always kind of weird to like root for somebody to get fired. But I think he wasn't the guy who's going to take us where we need to be. It was clearly the right move. Um, I was I was pretty excited about it. Yeah, we have this kind of feeling about out with the old, in with the new, and not just on the coaching staff we're talking about in the administration as well. You have some people that have left in the last couple of years. You have uh, someone, an important figure in our program, retiring after this year. And now you have a whole new staff coming in. So it's almost like we just need new blood. Um, and I think as far as with, with Dave Paulson specifically, 
you know, we had we have spent a lot. The, the three people on this podcast have spent a lot of time sitting in pressers with him. I think Petey's probably, you know, right around 20 or more. Chris is probably 50. I'm like more than that. And so we've sat in on a lot of pressers. We've interviewed him on our podcast. We've gone to open scrimmages. I've sat in on practices. Like, yeah, I had a bad read on, on him, you know, getting retained. And I think I was just shocked. Like I, I, I was told by three separate people. They all texted me as soon as the news broke, like saying, sorry, they were wrong. It's like, reveal yeah, I know your you, sources. <laughs> I know you were wrong. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but I was just, I was just super shocked. And I think let's talk about, you know, why it needed to be done. You know, I, I said, we have a lot, we've had a lot of experience watching him coach both on the court and behind the scenes. And then also in his preseason you know, media days and whatnot. Like we have just been a hundred percent tuned in. So I want to talk about, you know, why we got here and, and, and was it necessary? I think everyone knows our answer, but I want to talk about to each individual, why it was necessary. And then later on in the podcast, we're going to talk about coaches that we're looking at. We're going to talk about alumni. Why weren't they more involved? And we're going to talk about Dave Paulson's recruiting, but now should he have been fired? I'm going to kick it off with one specific reason. I never felt like he took accountability for any loss, for anything. I even threw him softball questions like, coach, you know, after a game like this, getting blown out by 20, are you going to go watch film? And he's like, just kind of laughed at me and gave like a DP answer. And another time I straight up asked him, you know, you know, what was your role in, in today's game and danced around that as well. We've seen coaches live just saying things, simple things like, you know, that that game, that was on me, guys. Not throw AJ under the bus for, for missing a defensive assignment. So I think that right there had a ripple effect. He wasn't that great of a leader. And because of it, needed to be fired. I would say probably after last year, but, you know, we couldn't do it. COVID obviously I mean, crushed that. So- for for me, it's like the reason why he had to be fired, it was more so the, um, uh, I think within the fan base, there was this level of disinterest and, you know, we had become complacent. And for me personally, I'm, I'm here, you know, we started by George, we're mega fans and everything. And I had pretty much gotten very used to losing and I'd become numb to it to a point where I just didn't really care about you know, the wins or the losses. And so for me being this mega fan and and sort of losing the ability to care about my team, I mean, this is, you know, one of the most important things, uh, you know, side hobbies that I have in, in life. So, you know, for me to not really care as much, it, it was telling. And it was something that, you know, this was a result of the product that Dave was putting out there. The games weren't that exciting. Uh, the seasons ended up not being that exciting or thrilling. And when you're not competitive and you're you're not interested in March Madness or brackets or reading who's on the bubble, bracketology and all that, you kind of lose focus. You become a little bit um, just overall just less engaged. And so for that fact, I think that I'm probably like thousands of Mason fans that they just simply stopped caring and became slightly numb to the program. So for that fact, I, th- I think he just kind of had to go just to revitalize Mason Nation, I think, to give us some slight bit of optimism, you know, 
I don't know who the next guy could be. He could absolutely bomb, but at least it's something. It's something different. At least I don't know what to expect. Yeah, for me, it was a little bit what it was mostly what I alluded to earlier. Like, I don't care as much about how the guy conducts himself in pressers. I don't care as much about like whether or not it's a fun style of basketball. It's just always about results. And it was clear now that David plateaued. We were not going to compete for double buys. We were not going to compete for NCAA tournament bids. You guys know how I love my stats. His best team in six years at Mason was 123rd on Ken Palm. So, which is just not in the, not in the universe that you need to be in order to, um, actually try and get to the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't feel like my expectations are unrealistic. I'm not one of those people who thinks that we should be Gonzaga East or even like VCU or Dayton. I want a coach who's going to have us competing for an NCAA tournament bid every two to five ish years. And there was just absolutely no evidence that Dave was going to be the guy to get us there. So for me, that was the reason. And I think we all just gave three solid reasons. Both hit us differently. But now it's just time to rip because it's not just those three reasons. And so let's get into them. One, specifically the offense, PD, something that you and I kind of analyze and talk about often, kind of a, a high ball screen motion offense that doesn't really lead the way to calling plays and working someone's hot hand. So the offense just kind of constantly was stagnant, ball kind of just stuck to dude's hands, forcing threes. Everything we said was accurate, but the offense and both on the defensive side, we still can't give an identity. Like, who is Dave Paulson at Mason? We don't know. So the offense just continued to kill me. Yeah, I mean, the his offenses have never been good here. This year was 186th. And one thing, I guess, I'm a, a little bit of a sidebar, but if you're looking for like a fourth reason uh, that it was, you know, it was time for Dave to go, he was, he's been um, sort of like comically bad at managing expectations throughout his time at Mason. Um, it, I think it started with the two year season bit, then talking to us actually about Reuter being a top five guy, talking about how Malik Henry was going to make people forget about AJ. He's mentioned for like the last two years in a row that this is like his best and most experienced team. Um, and these teams are like clearly not good. Um, and freshmen are playing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be too harsh, but yeah, um, these teams are like, you know, they're, they're like, they're not, they're not at the level that they need to be. So I, I think that, you know, part of it is a big part of this was like just his inability either to like gauge what he actually had in house, like whether it was an evaluation problem or whether he was just like guilty of like getting too excited and overhyping things himself, like whatever. Um, but no, the offense absolutely stunk this year, uh, 186th in the country. And yeah, it was, I can't tell you how many people I talked to because, you know, like I cover the A10 more than I cover Mason at this point. I talked to so many people around the A10 and so many like college basketball casual college basketball fans who will say things like Mason's offense is painful to watch. Like I just, I tuned into a game the other day, check it out, see what they're all about. And I was like, Holy crap, this like, what, like, what are they doing? It looks awful. Um, yeah, but yeah, you're absolutely right. The ball stuck. It required, um, player improvisation a lot, which is fine. Like if you're getting the right caliber of talent, um, but I think it's it's an offense that requires like true pure bucket getters um, in order to thrive, which is why guys like Justin Kyer, who gets to the rim really well, Marquise Moore had an elite first step, 
Otis Livingston was a fantastic true three-level scorer. It's like those guys um, can actually look pretty good in this offense, but like if you don't have that caliber of talent, it's going to look like what it looked like the past couple of years, which is just really bad. There's the offense for you. I think Petey laid it out. <laughs> Defense, <Yeah. laughs> de- de- Defensively, it's the same can be said. And something I want to talk about you, Jones, is because like I mentioned earlier, we've been alongside DP his entire time. It's been as Petey like nicely broke down. It's been a wild ride of things that Dave Paulson said. And that's why I mentioned why I was so disappointed, like kind of in his leadership, because I'm looking for those quotes in the pressers and, you know, in the interviews with us, because those are things that he says, and they're constantly messing with our emotions. If he just came out and said, you know, look, we may not be that good. We're going to try hard. And that's the end of the answer. Then we move on. But instead it's like Jared Reuter is going to be the a top five player in the entire A-10. And so right. like you get this expectation. So Jones, one thing well, that you've well, been able to see is just kind of the whole like debate about size and full court D and just like, it's just been mind boggling to try to keep up. Yeah. I mean, it, again, like what, what PD was alluding to, um, you know, just like the expectations for me personally is to sort of make the tournament every like two to five years and sort of that, that Reuter season where he hyped him. That was like Otis's senior year. You kind of circle that season and go, we should make the tournament. I mean, we were what preseason a 10, what fourth place or whatever. I mean, the expectations were, were very high that year. And I think a staple of the DP era was not delivering. Whether did we it, lose the first three games in a row that season? Yeah, we started first out like three season yeah. was season was dead on arrival. Yep, and so like he not only like would not deliver in you know clutch games, but clutch seasons even. I mean the the expectations were very high that year, um, and it just was a it was a flop and so that that for me just kind of you know and and we can talk about like yes the x's and o's they they weren't there either i mean uh, i don't know i i can't even put it into words i mean it, it was just kind of this big blah i mean and sometimes we went full court and you'd see that it would that it worked and that's what always... but it was too late it was like too right. little too late and and, like, uh, and you're burning out your seniors at that point. And everyone wants to talk about, like, people made excuses like, oh, our players weren't breaking down because of playing time. They're young. But if you look at our guys, they did kind of finish out their, you know, th- their careers hurt. I'll never forget Otis walking off versus VCU as they're straight pummeling us. And just on his, I think that was senior night. On senior and just night, like, yeah. The, the, the look on his face, everyone around, like, we couldn't even celebrate him. He was clearly bad through injury it just was it was hard to watch and I feel like that's what it's that's what it's been I mean now you, you, you like just we lost a lot of seniors um and, and I actually enjoyed watching Kyer um play this season and it's th- like that's is that just college basketball today well, and that's did, something did, that I need to accept or did it feel as if like there were a higher rash of injuries during the the DP era or people broke down more because I mean, like XJ I, I, Ravallo I, or whatever, right? And, and the list goes on where you know Kyer and and uh, Air Grayer, like he yeah. like we couldn't even get this man to finish. He he goes on to TCU, plays every game. I'm like so. Otis immediately had surgery after he left. So I'm just saying, like there was like a higher number of injuries, and we could just kind of you know say, well, it was just kind of random. It's injuries, but I swear I don't remember those types of injuries under Hewitt or, or Coach L at all. Like DP we missed blames. someone. It was huge. 
DP blames Reuters uh, regression on his injury. Like straight up, they said he would still have been a beast if he wasn't hurt. And I do question it because like sometimes it did look like he was like playing in concrete, like his feet were bricks. So I just like, he I also don't... got, yeah. I mean, Reuter also got like no time at Virginia and I know it's Virginia. It's a great basketball program, but he was playing behind Jack Salt. who was like a fine, you know, uh, is that a NCAA real person? Big man. Yeah, no, that's his name. I mean, Jack, he was like a seven footer. So he's a lot bigger than, Okay. Reuter wasn't like a different um was kind of like a different type of basketball player but um it's not like he was uh you know sitting behind future NBA guys at Virginia he was like not getting any minutes and he was you know their their big men were like serviceable but Brian to your point that like it was an excuse for you know the the flop of the second year of the two-year season it seemed to me like that just manifested the injuries were like always the excuses right like yep. last year Last season, we had this sort of like fraudulent eleven and one start to the season, or whatever. Um, before we just like <laughs> finished five and thirteen um, in the uh, in the A ten, and you know, Kyer got hurt, and Kyer wasn't able to play, and then that was sort of the excuse from the Paulson camp or from the team or whatever was like, oh well, if Kyer you know was able to play with us all season, things would have been totally different. Look how good we started. And like, meanwhile, it, like people like us who are paying close attention, like we knew there was something wrong with that hot start. We like, we wanted to believe a little bit, but at the same time we beat a lot of like lower level kind of crappy teams by small margins. And I think like all the injuries, they're just like, they just manifested as excuses for not meeting expectations, expectations that had been set by Dave himself in a lot of cases because he was just, I think a little bit careless with the way that he would, he would talk and the way that he would hype up the team. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, they, he I mean, also I tried thought, to use Hartwell as an excuse as well. He said, like, last season fell apart when Hartwell got a sudden illness. Um, so it's like, he did. And yeah, the, and, and he and started, the, and the, yeah. And the thing is, one like one point I want to make is that, you know, when you start to focus on the entire A-10 and more of, like, college basketball as a whole, like I do, and you get, like, out of the Mason bubble a little bit, is you realize that teams, every team is dealing with injuries. All of these guys are absolutely banged up and just like dealing with all sorts of different stuff. It's a long season. It's a brutal season. They hit the weights all the time. They are like battling out there on the court. Guys jam their thumbs, break their fingers, get little stress fractures. Like they play through all sorts of stuff, even like tendonitis, whatever. Um, and these are like all guys across all teams. And, you know, it's like, it's just, it's an excuse. I think when you don't meet expectations, you don't, you don't hear about it for teams that are performing at the level that you would expect them to. So I have like some sympathy for some of the injuries that have happened. Cause of course, some of them are legitimate and some of them actually actually hurt us. But I just feel like you hear about more of them so much from Mason the past several years, because we've just never been at the level that we, you know, expect to be at. So that's the way the conversation was directed. Yeah. Well, well, that not only the injuries, but also the flat out regression. And I don't know how many players we could point to where they, you know, they peaked their sophomore year and then by their senior year, they were putting up some of their worst numbers. Or you have players that regressed so fast, they didn't even make it to their senior year, like Mar. I mean, he was completely mm-hmm. broken when he left. Um, so I, I, there was something up. Um, I, I don't know if the players were burnt out or the system didn't work for them uh, or you know Dave got into their minds and broke them I don't know but you know it was rare on occasion to have a player steadily get better all four years 
I don't know, Dave like uses his freshmen so much that they are like great sophomores. And then by junior, senior year, I don't know, something happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that that's happened, you know, a bunch of times at this point. And so one thing, as we close out this segment, would, did he have to be fired? I know we've just spent this whole time ripping him. Um, you know, did he have to be fired? And would you have fired him at the end of last season if you had the, if you had the capital? Yeah. Um, I mean, we were in the playing game. I mean, we had gone from pig to pig. I mean, granted, yeah, we beat St. Joe's. We almost blew that lead. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, COVID ruined the season. So, I mean, obviously, you're not going to fire him after that. Uh, but the way that the season played out and, and playing into the, the playing game, I mean, it's embarrassing. I mean, that's not where you want to go as a program. Um, so I thought that maybe he salvaged his season uh, this year by kind of finishing out with the VCU win at home, a little win streak, uh, getting an A-10 win. I thought, well, maybe. But again, getting blown out in, in a must-win A-10 tournament game just kind of was sort of the icing on the cake. So, yep. Yeah, this was the this was the time. And also he was in the play in game like, you know, like Jonesy said, he was in the play in game last year. That was his first his first or his second year with all of his own recruits, like only guys that he brought into the program. You know, it's at that point, that's when you expect if he's the guy, you know, we're not not going to be in the play in game anymore. Like maybe in and, you know, I think that was not saying I would have fired him last year. I haven't put a ton of thought into it, but, you know, probably probably might have been justified. Yeah, and I and I think what really killed me was just the progression and the regression of both AJ and Green. It's like there are two players that I'll never understand. I won't be able to figure out. Do I blame the coach? Were they were the were these players in their own heads? Like I just don't know. I got a chance to talk to them a bunch. They seem like capable scores, guys that could put up you know, 13 to 16 points a game. And we just simply did not get that. And so that killed me. And I think that that hurt both the previous season and the, and last season. Um, and, and so it was crazy, you know, and before, before we go to break, when I went to that game, I drove down to Richmond Jones and I, we, we got media passes and we were at the, the Davidson blowout and the vibe, you know, it's like, we've seen blowouts. <laughs> I, 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 I flew to TCU to TCU, watched a blowout. Like I've seen blowouts. So, you know, it's not the end of the world, but that vibe was just different. You know, you could literally hear the McKay family yell over at Dave to put AJ back in the game as AJ's sobbing on the sidelines because he just played his last minute and didn't break the record, I presume. So I just like, I don't know. I just, it just blows my mind because it was just something that I never thought we would see. Walking into the game, Jones and I were talking about will Dave Paulson earn an extension? And man, did it go the opposite. And well, you think about it, he beats Davidson, then you get VCU, you know, for the potential, like, you know, you're playing VCU on a Saturday with the potential to go to a championship, you know, after that, Um, the season looks a lot different if, if you beat Davidson and Davidson's a talented team. So I would have, you know, I would have actually believed in the team if we had beaten Davidson, but, you know, even a single digit, you know, loss to Davidson is respectable, but that was probably one of the quickest end games I'd ever seen. I mean, the game was absolutely over within the first two to three minutes, and I don't think I've ever seen a game like that. AJ missed a three, Green missed a three, and the game was over. It was just that simple. (laughs) And so, and then I, and then I just like, as we're walking out that day, 
we talk to all the parents and so sometimes they you know they they like to bitch to us or they like to just like you know tell us we're making good content so like the family saw us we're already outside the family saw us they came outside they came talk, running out to, to us. talk to us and we're like oh man you know here we go and so of course we knew we could hear everyone screaming literally everyone on the mason side was screaming to put aj wilson in so you know that of course they were talking about that and brad walks out pretty much hears us talking obviously knows that they're upset i believe apologized to aj's family and then walked past us you know gave me a fist bump asked how i am so of course i said how are you which was probably a stupid question and he was like not good brian not good and at that moment i just felt like you know dp's done and what tilts me so much about being wrong about about DP being safe was that in my heart, I knew he should have been fired. I knew that night that he was, he probably was going to be fired. And still everyone's telling me he's safe. We, we don't have the finances to fire him. That was a bunch of bullshit. Those sources were wrong. Here's a little segment break and we'll be back to talk about coaching candidates we could be looking at, talk about alumni not being as a part of the program as we wish. And then we'll close it out. Be right back. Give me a mountain and nothing to do. Welcome back. Uh, first, first segment we spent about you know twenty minutes ripping apart DP. Probably get <laughs> probably get back to that. But you know, I, I want to talk about the you know our coaching candidate options. You know, like who's out there? Who do you guys want? Um, and I thought you know we put out a poll today. What should be the most important attribute when considering our new head coach ties to the DMV, GMU, or age, career, trajectory? We've had 140 votes, and people are more concerned with their age, career, and trajectory of the candidate. And, and I want to know, you know, I want to hear what what do you guys think? I mean, you both have been fans now for a long time. You you saw success. You know, you probably seen more success than most fans. And so, is it the, is it that nostalgia pick for you guys? Who do you want? I want the nostalgia pick. Me too. So give yeah. So, <laughs> I had to get it in first so that I'm not just agreeing with Chris. Uh, give give me um give me Tony Skin with like Lamar Butler, Jai Lewis, and Will Thomas as assistants. Man, like uh, I want somebody who you know in all seriousness it's not as much the nostalgia pick but like ties to the DC area and the DMV is so critically important. I wrote a little bit about this last night in the just like quick sort of like rambling thoughts that I posted, but we have let an infuriating amount of talent uh, escape from our backyard, not even to the bigger schools. There are schools that we're always going to lose recruiting battles to that's whatever, but like we're losing a 10 recruiting battles to like Rhode Island, St. Joe's UMass like frequently. And it's, that's, that's the part that's really, really annoying for guys who are absolute studs could be program changers for us could be the guys who get us to that ncaa tournament level i would love to have a nostalgia pick there's like a part of me that fell in love with mason basketball as a freshman watching that final four team and you know i think that would like you know excite a huge part of the fan base all that's important what's most important i think is um recruiting the dmv building your connections around here, making sure that we can get some of the premium talent 
that you know has some of those fringe p5 offers but also has those really good mid-major offers we need to start getting those guys the biggest failing of the paulson era in my opinion was just how much um you know how he he never really won a recruiting battle um a legitimate one in the dc area and well, don't, you f- that- don't you feel like the dmv is like this elite club that's very bubbleish? you know like you know once you're in that bubble you know you're sort of like accepted and and people can talk and and players kind of know each other but it is like this like tight-knit community the dmv like mm-hmm. basketball the aau you know like aj wilson is very connected in his family to to a lot of people so yep like i think that paulson could never really infiltrate that you know bubble i i think simpkins obviously helped and mojo but um you know i i do think it's 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 probably the most important aspect to, to getting a new coach is being able to get this talent that is right here and you have to have those connections and you have to you know know the right families to to talk to certain players and and pd's right i mean if we if we nail jeff downton like that could have put us in the tournament or damn near like damn near it so tournament like, jeff Right. And so it's like those minor misses add up, you know, over the course of, you know, someone's coaching tenure. And so, yeah, for me, I want to see some nostalgia. I want to I mean, I I don't think it's clearly it's not, you know, one or the other. I mean, we obviously want someone with a, a, you know, a career trajectory that's pointing up a lot of or if anybody that we're going to interview is obviously trending up. But I think the most important factor is having those roots. Um, I think so who? I think Chris Caputo. I mean, he, I think, you know, coming from the Coach L tree, um, you know, I think Petey's talked about this a few times that, you know, is there a bit of a warning flag that he's remained an assistant coach this long? Sure, but maybe he's just waiting for the Miami job. I don't know. I mean, he could just really like learning under Coach L. I don't know. But I think that if he were willing to, you know, explore options in coming here. I think Fairfax would love to have him back. I think he has his, you know, he was primarily Coach L's, uh, you know, recruiter. So I think he has ties in the area. And I don't know, I, I wouldn't hate it. I mean, if he brought, you know, again, like a Lamar or some other former player with him on the the team, I would absolutely love that. And maybe the nation would love that. I mean, the, the program needs that. They need fans to come and show up for something. I mean, it's just been very dead. Um, so for me, it's Chris Caputo. Um, you know, he's learned from the best. He's pretty much the the next best thing in getting Coach L. Um, you know, kind that's of, that's who that's who I'd like. I to think, see. yeah, Caputo. I I do think it's a weird thing with Caputo. He's been a top assistant since when? Like you know for how long he he was a, he was a top assistant on the final four team he's been Larenega's assistant for like close to 20 years now he is in, his name is always mentioned as a head coaching candidate but like i think he wants to take over a program that's been pre-built for him i think he's waiting for the miami program and i think it might be but he, isn't that program kind of meh right now didn't they finish they are, last in they, the acc they dealt with I mean, a lot they, of injuries they, they, i think they, i mean they i'm not are, saying like Jason's are, in better shape no, they are, but they've recruited. They've recruited well. Like they recruited um really well when Larinaga got there. 
they um, just had a guy like enter the transfer portal who was a four star freshman who was like injured all year or something. Um, yeah, which, di- maybe, which di- maybe Caputo which brings one of them. them. But um, <laughs> yeah, no. But I mean, I mean, I think if you're if you're a head coach um, or if you're an assistant coach taking on a head coaching job, there are so many like unknowns about different programs that you could take over and so many things that like you don't even know about that could submarine your ability to do what you need to there. And I think he can eliminate all of those, basically all of those by just taking over a program that he's in after coach L retires, I would think. Yeah. Funny. It's like, sorry, it's, it's a red, like it's a red flag to me. Either he doesn't want to be a head coach, which w- feels like weird because his name is always out there. So like, and he could stop that if he wanted to, or he's like just clearly set on taking over uh, the Mason job. Or he's bombed every job interview he's ever had. Because <laughs> yeah. he's he's been a top, Sports Illustrated been a top name for like twelve years now. Sports Illustrated named him uh, one of the top twenty best assistants in college basketball in twenty seventeen. What? So, oh, there I was, you go. I was I was gonna say when like two thousand eight. Like, yeah. been... I mean that man is loyal. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I used to work at the uh, Ruby Tuesdays in Fairfax, like, I don't even know what it's called, Fairfax Town Center or something, Fairfax Corner, whatever. And he used to come in. I used to serve Caputo and his hot wife. And they would always, (laughs) they'd they'd crush the, they'd crush the salad bar over and over. But you know, I just, I I just, I remember he was always such a nice guy to me. Like at the time I was like trying to be a grad assistant. I was trying to coach. I was, I was getting his card, shooting him emails. He never answered, but I, I just, I, I was like, I, I like the guy. So I, of course I would like to see him here, but I think I'm on Petey's train that he's a long time assistant. I'm not too sure what he's waiting. Well, then then, then he, who do you want to see? So I'm looking at a guy like Kim English. Um, I think, Ooh. you know, someone, and, and I don't know, you know, it's kind of hard to keep up with these coaching accounts because like some are trash, some are not, you know, like who actually has the, the scoop. Um, trash. <laughs> so I'm well, not... Kim English is legit, though. I think multiple sources have linked him to, and even those... be... seems very credible. Yeah, and even yeah. before Dave Paulson was fired, we were hearing about him being <laughs> a him being a candidate. And I just, you know, a guy like him uh, who, who played basketball at a high level, who who was drafted um, now with Tennessee, who's been pretty good. I'd like to see a Rick I'd, Barnes. I'd like to see a up and coming, you know, assistant coach, someone. Um, you know, who, who has done it before, who can tell the kids, Hey, look, I got drafted. I know how to get there. I think that's important because we need to maybe not to get an NBA player, but somebody who's kind of fringe, you know, like someone who has a talent that you're like, Oh, maybe that guy could make the G league. Um, so I, you know, I'm looking for a guy who's been there before. Uh, what do you guys think about Kim English before we move on? I would love Kim English. Um, I want to, I want, you know, I want Brad to reach out to the former players and to make them feel involved. Like I want Tony skin and Lamar Butler and Jai Lewis and all these guys who are griping on Twitter to like feel good about the direction of the program. That being said, I like everything I've read about Cam Cam English. I think if you're going to take a swing on a hot young assistant with a proven recruiting track record who like everybody just loves and think he's got future star written all over him. I think, I think that's the guy. And I, I think, though, if we want to do sort of the the opposite direction, that poll where we're looking at, you know, sort of younger trajectory guys, you know, Kim English fits that mold. But another guy I want to talk about um, is the Kelsey guy from Winthrop. Um, they're mm-hmm. um, a, a team that's, you know, in it, this year in the tournament, they're a 12 seed. I think they I think lost they, one game. 
Did yeah, you, yeah I, I was gonna say, did you guys know Winthrop is twenty three and one this year? Yeah, yeah. I knew they, they were good. I had no idea. I don't even know how they. I mean, should they be seated higher? <laughs> I don't right? think they beat anybody. But I don't I mean, think they I played mean, it anybody good. Match. It's still still. Kind but they're of impressive, still impressed. Right? I think they finished like first in their conference. You know, so many years um, out of the last few years. So I think I mean, this five guy, times, honestly. Yeah, this guy's an absolute stud. He's young. I mean, he's the guy that accepted the UMass job and then kind of backed out last minute. Yeah, so what was uh, that? What's the backstory there? I mean, it's sort of like a Josh McDaniels. Like, he said yes, and then I, I don't... What, what, what brought it him was, back? It was like less than 30 minutes before his introductory presser. Um, I think yeah, he, awkward. Uh, AD, AD was left with his thing in his hand at the podium there. Um <laughs> And the, but, that gave them Matt McCall. And now they have Sorry. Matt McCall. Yeah. So UMass fans, I kind of like Pat Kelsey because it would uh, increase our rivalry with uh, UMass. I mean, how yeah. long can you stay at that level? Like you're owning at Winthrop. Like you're owning. Like literally five mm-hmm. times in like nine years, he's finished first. Like he's I, he's balling. When do you leave? And what do you leave for? I mean, he could be leaving for a power five pretty soon. I mean, if he wins a game or two in the tournament, he may be even beyond us. So I think, you know, if we were, if we were to get him, we'd be lucky. Yeah, I would have to agree. So that's that's kind of the the, the candidates I mean, we've what, heard about. Virginia Tech landed Mike Young after uh, Wofford won a few games. I mean, you know that that would, that's sort of the same yep. kind of scale. So he could take that trajectory for sure. Yeah, I mean, and Young has been balling. We have a couple buddies over at everything Virginia Tech basketball that are getting to cover like you know what happens. Like they had they had a a coach leave them. Buzz was a beast goes on and it's like that that program could have crumbled so you know I, obviously they're in a different realm than we are um but i think we can you know get get a young fired up coach um that can kind of galvanize uh the dmv better than dave paulson was able to but when i want to talk about the the dmv a little bit more um you know was that dp's you know worst mistake is not being able to to recruit locally and does the new coach have to be able to do that whether it's kim english or someone that's local like like a skin you know does that person have to have connections here does he have to hammer the dmv or can a guy like like english come in and bring his own guys maybe he's like you know maybe he can recruit the midwest really well or maybe he has connections in the south I mean, like um, english english is from the english is from baltimore yeah, uh, and he's he's got English is connected all over the uh, all over the DC area, so he Perfect. would be yeah, yeah that would make no. him very attractive. I mean, but like I think, I think the point is, but sorry, Jonesy, but I think no. the point is that like you know Paulson just didn't bring in premium talent. Like let's call it what it is, right? Like how many guys in his six years here have you watched their career unfold, and have you said like that player could be the best guy on a great team? It's like Otis and Kyer, and that's it. Um, like we need, like we need premium talent. I don't care where it comes from, but you know, if and both gonna, of those guys were like, diamonds, right? Yeah. Well, I was like, going to say the, that, they were in the rough. I was going to say like the DMV is a great source of talent, but it, it you don't necessarily have to only pull from it. Uh, Paul Hewitt was pulling, you know, people from yeah. Georgia and you know wherever. And, La- and Larinago is pulling guys from Florida. Yeah, um, he had a like, New York and Florida in, in, pipeline in, in New York. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, building with building with great talent from the area is what's going to make guys like Ryan Pearson and Mike Morrison, you know, more likely to come here from far away because we're a solid program with really solid talent where where you'll compete for tournaments. I think it is sort of a fundamental. I'm sorry, I'm talking in circles, but I do think it's sort of a fundamental requirement. Like they need to be able to recruit from here. 
Yeah, and and you you said a name that kind of triggered you know how we're going to close out our episode. Ryan Pearson, where has he been? I haven't seen him on campus. He never posts about Mason. Doesn't seem like he cares at all. And is that an issue? Like I feel like that's multiple players. We're now seeing players complain on Twitter. It's been happening for years. It's not just this year. It's not just after Paulson was fired. Is this a greater issue issue within the athletic department? Is this a PR issue? Is this Dave Paulson? You know, like what is the problem? And you know, if we don't hire them, or, or you know, or reach out to them immediately, is is are we only severing the ties even further? So I'll give you some insight that, um, you know, I went to the uh, TBT game in Richmond where you had a bunch of former players. So you had Pearson, Mike Moe, Brian Allen, uh, Fowler and Campbell, a bunch of former players playing there. And I was actually talking to someone and um, I think it may have been Pearson even, but I was I was asking like why no younger guys like you know you could have maybe reached out to Otis had had you know recently graduated yeah there's like newer faces that we could have added and he said that there's just like a there's no communication from the coach L guys and the current university and the coach so you know Paulson and and so he was like there's there's just no communication he's like so we just did our own little team. Um, and you know, that kind of set up a red flag for me, like the fact that, you know, we can't even build, uh, you know, alumni team built with like our best players, you know, there's like factions within that, but yeah, I mean, Daryl Monroe alluded to it, um, on Twitter that, you know, no one's reached out to him, uh, you know, and, and, you know, when he started complaining online, you know, Mason basketball started retweeting him again. So, you know, there's some sort of issue right now where you're not seeing a lot of players come back for games. Um, you know, that was kind of a staple of the Coach L era. You would see, you know, uh, Dre Smith, you'd see John Vaughn, Lamar, Jai, everyone going to these games and waving and everything. But, you know, during, you know, DP's era, it was pretty dry. I mean, you didn't see a lot of players and that that stinks for you know the fans i mean you want to see some of these guys you want to touch base you want to talk um i thought that you know he made a decent effort by bringing in ike tate but unfortunately that's now ended so yeah i I think it was an issue i mean there's just this there's clearly a disconnect and um it wasn't that hard to see yeah it's I, I would I would love to know more about it if anybody wants to give me some dirt at PD buckets on Twitter um, but I you know I, I think I see everything that you guys are seeing on Twitter it makes like it makes me sad I want <laughs> I don't know I'm a fan I don't like know any of these guys personally I just you know for my fanhood I just want them all to like be happy and like in like each other and get along and um, it makes me feel like there's a level of uh, I don't, I don't, I want to phrase this gently. I don't want to call it like incompetence, but like how freaking hard can it be to keep, you know, the most important people in the history of your basketball program happy? Like, I don't feel like these guys are high maintenance or anything. Um, I don't feel like they're demanding jobs or anything that they don't deserve, but like, you know, reach out to them, like keep them in the fold. How, like, how, how are we screwing this up? Yeah. I don't, that's the what part was I really it? don't get. Was it weird though that we we're only hearing from ex players um, like just as DP was fired? You know, like a lot of them are coming out of like the woodwork. You know, they're they're tweeting out like, "Oh, the next coach should be this." Like you're you're hearing from Tim Burns and Gabe Norwood, like guys 
that you hadn't heard from in a while, it almost as if like they were waiting for DP to leave to like speak up. I don't know. It was a weird situation. Yeah, yeah, I think you have to you you know, you don't wanna you don't wanna shit on the team as they're trying to recruit and, and whatever, but as soon as he's gone, now it's like, okay, open the floodgates, like now let's all hop on a podcast and talk trash about him, you know. So I think there's there's some of that to it. But uh, you know, one thing I wanna touch on is like you know, is it their fault too? Like, you know, have they come around? Like, do we have to beg you to come to games? Like, you know, they like Bill Rowland does do the kind of that halftime segment with <laughs> that play. hit bombs. And so, like, <laughs> Bill Bill Rowland asks him to talk about the Final Four five times a year. Like, <laughs> they look like they're having a great time every single interview. They're celebrating like the 15 year anniversary, the 16 year anniversary. It's like, come on, man. So I think you know, is it is it on them too? You know, of course everyone can blame yeah, Paulson, sure. but Paulson he doesn't even know them. He's supposed to like call but, Pearson, but 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 Paulson sets the tone. I mean, that's you know, he's he's sort of the face of the program. I think. I mean, his own guys didn't come back, <laughs> so right. Yeah, I mean, where's Otis been? Yeah, overseas, I, I guess. It's it's exactly. tough. You know, I do wonder like I, I want it does make me too make it does make me sad too, Petey. Like you, you know, you want that camaraderie, you want the love, you want these guys promoting Mason, you want them trying to I mean, like Butler works locally, you know, you want him to try to get his guys uh into our system. Um so it's been tough. I think, you know, it's kind of <laughs> we we just we just ripped DP this whole time, but it's a new day. You know, it's a new But it's you know, like do we do we expect players to come back whenever right after like the Davidson game we asked Javon Green's mom is he returning and her response is hell no. So it's like <laughs> do we expect him to to come back and be this ambassador to Mason? Like yeah. it's clearly like all of his relationships are ending on these like weird notes and it's like maybe it's because he's losing in these pig games or early on in these a10 tournaments where kids are just like you know what f it i'm over this program i'm over the coach they graduate and they just get move on with their lives yeah i think that i think you hit the the nail on the head there anything we want to close this episode out on to have, have we left anything out have we forgot about anything transfer portal is on fire right now i've been yeah, updating my twitter should, should. Should we break the news? I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's not breaking by the time this drops, but Tyler Kolick and Tyler Kolick uh, stinks for Mason fans. He's entering the portal. He mm. says he's keeping Mason as an option, um, but then also so Big, did a, Luke. Big, <laughs> big, a, big A10 news, uh, Fats Russell also uh, going to take his fifth Ooh. year elsewhere, most likely. Hmm. I didn't know if he was even going to play a fifth year. It sounds, it sounds I like he's going to go pro. Yeah, sounds like players are going to do it. I mean, it's a, that's a separate debate. We could we could have it for ten more minutes, but you know, I would want to come back to college. Shit. Well, mm-hmm. so, so can we talk about kind of? I mean, uh, the the nature of the A ten right now, and it's losing its rookie of the year, and then preseason. What Trey Mitchell was preseason to win the player of no, the year. He was, he was he was first team this year. Yeah. Right, so I mean, you're losing some very important guys. You know, the, the guys that you're that's, that's entire just conference. You know, just college so. basketball, man. It's it's, it's it's that's why this new coach has to be hip. He has to be pulling transfers. You have to. It's it's what basketball is going to college basketball is going to turn into. Yeah, and DP didn't, and when I he think, did, he I sucked. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you have to be you have to be competitive more than anything. I think like. Trey Mitchell transferred because UMass stunk even with him on the floor. Um, Fats mm-hmm. is going to transfer because Rhodey was like not competing for an NCAA tournament bid. Um, like not with the roster they have. Uh, See any kids from Davidson transferring? No. 
No. <laughs> Kids from Davidson. <laughs> Davidson's a little bit like a cult, so um, that might be why. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's not doom and gloom anymore. Uh, us three have all, when we have, we, we've been kind of ragging on Paulson for a while, been very critical of his offense. Uh, PD's done like offensive breakdowns. Um, talk, like we shot a lot of like two point jumpers. We settled for a lot of shots in the offense. You know, we could go on and on and on. Um, but he's gone. And, and it's a, <laughs> as, as we described to start the, the episode, it is a sigh of relief and we're excited, um, um, for the, the news that's going to come out here soon. I happen to believe, um, that Brad has something in his grasps. And, and so, you know, I think, well, so, stay so just tuned. A, side, a side note, the last coaching search took about two weeks. So, uh, the clock's ticking. So we should have an answer, you know, by the start of April. So guys, this has been fun. Um, go ahead and follow PD buckets on Twitter at PD buckets. And of course your boys from by George at by George GMU PD. Thanks for sneaking on a podcast. Hopefully we can have you on a couple more times in the off season. Jonesy PD Larry. We're all fathers now taking our time to do this here. And I just want to say thanks guys. Love you. And we are out. Bye. Love it. Thank you.